Welcome to episode 64 of the Digital Fabrication Experiment podcast. I'm Winston Moy, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Eddie Kramer and Chris Lee. We're a couple of CNC nerds, and we'd like to bring you into our conversations about what we're making and life in the shop. Eddie and Chris, how are you two doing? I'm doing great. How about you, Chris? Uh, I'm doing pretty good myself. Yeah, so uh, tonight, let's talk about like uh, our hobbies. Okay, all three of us. Our, I think our hobbies have kind of melded with our what we would call work, right? What we get paid to do. And how's that kind of impacted? I don't know the way you feel about working, you know, with CNC and design and all that kind of stuff. Like for me, it still hasn't taken the fun out. But I love doing this stuff. But I'm not doing it as intensely as probably Chris is, and I'm not really sure what's going on. Winston's at the skunk work, so I never really know. <laughs> I know you got a lot going on there, but uh, yeah, it's it's a I mean, weird intersection um, of life and hobby and now day job, and I still don't quite know like like where everything settles out, like what my life equilibrium is right now. Um, it's it's complicated. Some of it's not so secret, but uh, yeah, we we can go through all of that. Um, but I think Chris, you're the the most extreme example of how one has dived headfirst into a hobby, turned it into a career, and is now balancing that back out with uh, living a normal life. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, like, I work, my day job is between 5 a.m. to 3.30 p.m., so it's a 10-hour shift, Monday through Thursday. I usually get up around 3, 3.30, take care of the puppy and stuff. And then I also uh, been investing in stocks. So, in the morning, I do a lot of my research and due diligence for what I'm going to be trading that day and stuff. And then I usually, during my breaks, I'm either researching stocks to trade or getting ready to set up trade with like market or limit watches. So I'll be doing this during my breaks and throughout the day and on my lunches and stuff. And then when I get home or 3.30 when I get off, takes an hour to get home, I'll head over to the other shop where the UMC is at. And I'll usually try to like, uh, basically, my job is a program and like proof. So I'll look at their parts, I'll give design input, uh, we'll change things, we'll iterate, we'll, we'll make stuff, I'll make fixtures usually, uh, set up the machine for them, and then they have, uh, we hired like an operator to come, uh, basically, well, he's actually started as an operator, but we're actually teaching him how to program, he's, he's pretty good at it, so pretty soon he'll be able to take over, and that's kind of been the goal, because sometimes I'm there pretty late, and like I need at least four hours of sleep, otherwise it gets real tough for me to make it through the whole day. Um, without, because I don't drink coffee, so it, it gets tough sometimes. If I get really tired, I have to I have to get some kind of caffeine in me, whether that's tea or or something like that. But you know, this whole thing has got me thinking. Uh, I don't really post on social media anymore because most of the stuff during the day job I can't really share, and then the other stuff um, I'm just so in the thick of it. Sometimes it's not second nature for me to pull my phone out anymore and just stop what I'm doing to take a picture and post because. I'm there for a limited amount of hours, so like I'm, I'm kind of there just to work, and I, I kind of want to get in and get out and get things done so I can go home. Um, and then, you know, when I get home, there's I have a whole list of other things I need to take care of before going to bed. So this has got me thinking that, hey, how really sustainable is this? Like, can I really keep this up? Because after 10 hours of programming and machining at the day job, and then four to six hours at the other job, I don't really feel like on my free time that I want to spend 
uh, more stuff in front of Fusion or something doing my personal projects. Um, not to say that I don't think about them, because I do. I still think, I still, you know, napkin draw, I jot down ideas, and I am still kind of keeping record of what I want to do. I just don't have the bandwidth to do that now, because I'm also splitting my time between the new dog, uh, the wife, uh, I go surfing now, in the stock investments, trying to grow a portfolio. So, I enjoy these other things too. And then the sewing machine thing's been really fun. Like my wife and I have been getting into that and that's been fun. We made um, uh, face masks for the kids, her nieces and nephews and stuff, because the ones that they bought for children were, were kind of chafing their nose. So we put like this little silicone mesh on the inside of it to soften it up. That's kind of like, uh, it can breathe a little bit. And then we sewed that into like a cloth fabric mask. And then we embroidered like teddy bears and hearts and stuff for the girls on the thing. And that was like super fun, but I feel guilty because I'm not doing, I'm not sharing. I'm not like what I used to do, right? When I had the pocket and see in my apartment, it was just me like coming home for the nursing job and then doing this thing and then posting all these cool things. I don't do that anymore. And for some reason, I feel this like sense of weird guilt upon myself for like that I should be doing more. But then it's like, I'm not sure how much more I can do right now until I start to cut something out. Like, uh, but I don't want to cut anything out because I, I still enjoy what I do. Like I love doing what I do. And it's just that work is kind of like scratching my itch, so to speak. Uh, it, it's like giving me everything that I want. I'm being challenged. I get to use, you know, the five axis, the mill turn, the the fourth axis. Like I'm, I'm getting to program all these machines that I never had access to before. I have free reign on everything pretty much. And um, they're starting to pull in more complex work and they're throwing it my way. And I'm just like sitting there like figuring out and doing all these cool things and stuff. And then uh, when I get to the other shop, the main focus is just like better fixturing, uh, better work process, like uh, not, you know, cause it's, there's a difference for like when you're programming and running for yourself versus when you need to program and hand it off to somebody completely. Right. Like you can't like not have your stuff, like complete, like your feeds and speeds needs to be on point. You're not going to be able to sit there and tell the operator, hey, uh, go ahead and turn this down to 80% if you hear this screeching. Like you can't have that. Like everything's got to be done. So you need to have it like locked down. You need a setup sheet. Like everything needs to be kind of like packaged to go. And that really does change or it changed me uh, as a programmer, how I approach things. Because I don't, I don't think the same way I used to because I'm handing my stuff off now and I, I'm not really always there to talk to them. Like I can't be whispering in the ear like, Hey, uh, I'm going too fast. You know what I mean? Like, so it, yeah, it does yeah. like, oh, if you guys ever get to that point, like, I don't know if you have it, it really does completely change the way you do things. Like you need to be on point. You need to have like a system. You need to be consistent. Everything needs to be, it needs to make sense. Plus you also need to program in a way where if they need to make adjustments to the wear comp on the fly, you can't have like, you can't always just adaptive everything and then finish like an easy pocket. You know, sometimes features are more complex and you need to be able to uh, group your tool paths in a way where if they where if they work comp offset one thing, it'll take care of this whole section. Like, I, does that make any sense? You yeah. know, like yeah. there, you, you can't just yeah. I mean, you should assume that the only thing running the machine is like a UR ten robot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Program like like that and. Uh, you always come at it. So for me, that was like new because I'm always used to like, you know, I'll just program whatever, get to the machine. Ooh, that sounds really bad. Like, okay, let me go change that. But like at work, I can't do that anymore. And it, it, it was scary in the beginning, but it, it's actually made me a lot better, uh, made me more efficient. And also like 
made me think about how I approach a, a part a different way. Um, and, and then on top of that, like I look at the, basically the first thing I asked now is like, how many parts are we making? If they tell me it's one, I don't care. I'm just chucking it on the vice and getting it done. I'm not really caring about process, but if they tell me it's like a hundred or a thousand, I'll take a minute and like build a nice fixture, right? Make sure it's like a, an easy process for the swaps and stuff. So, um, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's everything I wanted to learn and that's everything that I couldn't learn on my own. I needed to be at a job that would challenge me in this way to do that. So I feel pretty fulfilled at there. And then at nighttime, yeah. it's just kind of like having fun with friends and making stuff for the motorcycles and, doing all that stuff. So um, for me, it's not like burnout where I don't ever want to touch it anymore. It's just, I don't have any more bandwidth to do the fun projects that I want to do, the things that I'm always thinking about in my head. Um, and it makes me feel bad in a way, but at the same time, I realize like there's nothing I can do about it. Like, unless I want to give up everything else in my other life, like in a normal life, right? Like exercising, working yeah. out, going through, you know, I can't give up all that stuff as well. It can't be, 20 hours of CNC and four hours of sleep. So, yeah, um, I mean, you're at the age where, you know, career is kind of your primary focus anyway. So I can tell you from experience, someday you'll be old, <laughs> you'll have time. And now you have all these skills, right? You will get yeah. your chance to uh, run your machine in a garage and work on the, you know, whatever little projects you want to. But uh, yeah, it sounds like, um, you know, just think, what was it? Two years ago, you were, you were probably like, dealing with catheters and yeah. ORs. Chemos. <laughs> I mean, not that that's yeah. any simpler than CNC machining, but it's uh, very different, right? So. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, and I, I, I've honestly never looked back. Um, I'm not sure if we talked about it, but I didn't even renew my license. So my, my nursing license has expired. And when everyone looked at me, they're like, what are you doing? And I was like, why would I renew this? The fact of me renewing this means that I think that I'm going to fail and I simply cannot fail. Like, nobody leaves a nursing career, period, right? And the fact that I did means yeah. I need to have enough conviction to move forward and like never look back. So I completely walked out yeah. of there. And I went actually went to visit my old work uh, you know, not, not too long ago just to have lunch and keep up how they are and stuff. And um, they're doing great and they're moving on. They hired some great people there and everything's still moving. So I felt, I felt like closure from that completely. I, I don't miss it. Uh, it was a big part of my life. It I definitely changed the way how I think and how I view things. And it, it actually pushed me to where I am now. So I'm super grateful for that entire experience. And I don't yeah. regret, you know, doing it or anything like that. So, but uh, I'm happy where I am. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. Yeah, that's good. I, I would definitely say that's not burnout. That's just kind of executing your career goals, right? Or yeah. Like, you know, hitting, I, hitting your goals. Yeah. And, and like, I think I've told you guys before, like, I've always feel like I'm behind, you know, like when we, when we look at our Instagram friends, like some of these guys have been doing this for like 10, 15 years and I've only been doing it for like two. So for me, I feel like I have this huge gap of knowledge and experience and I'm just like frantically trying to absorb as much as I can to catch up. So it's just, that's like been my driving force of like getting better, getting better, faster, learning from everyone. I, I constantly bug people that are smarter than me, ask them questions uh, and just trying to like get to their point. I'm trying to create 10 years of knowledge and compact it into like five years if I can. That's kind of been my goal. Um, for To what end? I have no idea. I'm not sure where, I, I kind of have an idea where I want to end up, but I'm not sure, uh, you know, what's going to happen next year or even for the next month in that matter. So. Are, have you guys felt kind of the same way? 
I don't know about so you. Instant, you yeah. <laughs> well, I I would say yes. Um, so I I've gone through like this is like month number three or four without a video, and it feels really weird. Um, but that's a big part of that is because work got busy again um, after the whole Nomad Three stuff, after the Shapeoko Pro stuff. Uh, there was a little lull as we were trying to just fulfill orders, get through that backlog. Um, but now the product development cycle is picking up again. And so I've gotten thrown on a couple more projects and life is busy in the career sense. Um, and that's definitely taken up a lot of my time. The other kind of big wrench that got thrown into my schedule was the fact that I got a girlfriend and what? <laughs> oh, wait, 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 wait. I don't give a shit about all this other stuff. How did you tell me about this girlfriend? What the hell? Uh, yeah, that, that kind of happened. Um, there's, it's just, can she run a CNC machine? Uh, she can run a nomad. There you go. But like, I don't know. There's just things that happen in your life where you need to, I have this idea like, Oh, like this project video, I'll get around to it. I'll finish it this weekend. And then a plan comes up for the weekend and you think to yourself, I I'm doing everything I'm doing in my career so I can enjoy my life. And certain things like building personal relationships those are things you just can't postpone and so just yeah. life things have come up that are more important than that side hustle and even though i miss it i don't regret it because i don't know that's a that's a very healthy attitude sorry to interrupt <laughs> yeah no they, i feel like we hustle we grind we burn ourselves out sometimes but you can't lose track of the the greater goal which is to eventually improve your quality of life and sometimes that means like toiling on a project uh, sometimes it means letting it coast being satisfied with what you've learned so far and just putting it on the back burner for a bit because other things are more important it could be family it could be health but yeah that's kind of why i've uh eased off on the accelerator pedal for my video production schedule and I'm trying to stay current, like just post some things on Instagram here and there. But I don't know. I'm still trying to figure out the equilibrium thing uh, of life, work, and and YouTube stuff. But I don't know. We'll we'll get there. It's also a weird time right now, just because it's so hard to do anything to get outside. Uh, like um, I, I'll also say that dating during a pandemic, I, I do not recommend it. It's the most <laughs> bizarre, awkward experience. Uh, like you can't go to a movie. But here we are. And uh, yeah, that's why my video schedule has been so sparse for the past couple of weeks or months. So what do you do? Stay home and watch uh, Titans of CNC videos? <laughs> uh, no, but maybe maybe I will introduce her. Um, Titan Gilroy yeah. is a really fascinating character. Yeah, he is. And uh, I, I just I had kind of quit watching him for a while. And now I'm starting, you know, now that he's moved to Texas, I've starting to catch up on his videos and boy he's got a lot of different machines than he used to have he used to be all Haas and now it's like everything else Doosan. Doosan's now yeah um does he have a grow i also got some, some fancy grinder right a makino i think it's a makino like a big horizontal i used to have that one for a while but i yeah it's, i think he's all education now right he still has a shop like he's still doing you know the job shop because he posts a lot of tool videos. I mean, I can't imagine. Well, no, I, I think some of those machines are for education, even the like the real high end ones. I, um, I, I heard through some other 
and industry people that he just went full education, but I'm not sure. Uh, that's what he told me. Yeah. So I, I took his word well, for I it. Well, I could see, I could see like him spending his time on that. Maybe his guys run the shop for you. Yeah. Know, he's probably got pretty tied down or pretty uh, dialed in over there. I, I saw he just got some high end CNC grinding, uh, grinding machines. I can't remember what the brand was, but um, I don't know if those are for tool making or for like, you know, finishing or, you know, basically parts making. I don't know much about that side of the world, but yeah, he's the definitely expanding. Studer S41. Yeah, like, I don't know what that's for, like what you would make with it. I, I usually think of those kinds of things, uh, those types of machines as being like tool tool grinding. It's a seven-figure yeah. machine. It's hard to imagine yeah. using that for yeah. education. Yeah. Yeah, either he's, you know, he's coming out with a tooling line, which is actually, I could see him doing that, or it's for, you know, some other type of, work it's not tooling related but uh yeah you know the other videos i've been enjoying catching up on they're more stories on instagram i'm not sure he's doing youtube anymore but uh calvin urban survival gear also moved to texas yeah <laughs> eventually all the all the machines will come here but um i think he's out i want to say he's out in abilene but he's like you know he went from this tiny little business with some small uh I can't remember the like off-brand lathes. So now he's got like a room full of Swiss machines and uh, he, you know, really big shop, really nice. Uh, I hope to get out out west and or north, I guess northwest, and go visit him once all the pandemic stuff's out. I want to see that place, uh, but he's so busy. Who knows? <laughs> he's like making a ton of good products right now. But his videos are so good. Like he's he talks a lot about. Um, uh, he's kind of like Jay Pearson, like. Uh, I would say he's a student of Jay Pearson because I think he actually went to Pearson's to Jay's shop and kind of toured, kind of got the lean religion when he was there, and he's been implementing um, that in the new shop. So that's that's kind of the series I've been enjoying watching um, and picking up ideas from. But it's weird, like a lot of this stuff, like it's just me, so not all of that really applies. Um, like I don't well, I take that back. I do need write out process cards because even. <laughs> I forget what I'm doing sometimes, right? Um, but like the, you know, some of the stuff that's like the, I'm trying to think, um, like how to find, how to find your parts and, and, uh, subcomponents and all that kind of stuff, getting that organized. I'm starting to have enough of that to deal with here that that's like, I'm starting to listen to those types of, uh, ideas, like a, a grid layout on a shelf so you can, and, and I don't know if I'm going to, I don't think I need an ERP anytime soon, but I would kind of like an inventory and raw material management just to kind of keep track of my inventory levels and tell me when it's time to order and let me look at historical orders and all that kind of stuff. But boy, I, I kind of took this conversation well away from my original <laughs> topic. <laughs> but I mean, I guess, you know, my contribution is I'm enjoying growing as a businessman and like doing work for other people. Like it's, I don't want to say it's validating, but you know, when you're doing the hobby stuff, you never know if you're growing, right? It feels like you are, it feels like you're, you know, you could do more than you, you know, more than you did a year ago. Um, you know, your parts tend to come out the way you intended more often than they did the year before. Right. But now it's, you know, when you're making, making stuff that other people have to assess and, and accept or reject and, you know, that that's, and you get most of your work accepted, right? <laughs> Assuming you do, um, like that's a nice validation that you're, you're learning and growing. And 
you know, you're, you're basically building some solid skills. So that's been pretty satisfying for me over the last year. It's a good place for you to be, right? Because like you're, you're retired, you could have just gone on and just enjoyed your life with the dogs in Texas. Um, but you just, you pushed yourself into an exciting new hobby turned career. So this is like, this is where you're supposed to be. So that's like yeah. totally a good thing. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's not where I planned to be when I basically first signed the papers for the Neo. I had different plans in mind. I mean, I always plan on doing a little bit of job shop stuff to kind of help smooth out cash flow and keep the machine earning its keep, right? But, you know, I had plans to do my product line. But like, I've noticed like all my ideas, like people have already brought better stuff to market for the markets I was aiming at. So I'm like, okay, actually, I almost feel good about that. It's like a relief. I don't have to be thinking about, you know, some of like pocket and seat work holding. There's lots of good stuff out there now um, that, that some of the other machine owners are putting out. So now, you know, I've still got some ideas more for the Neo and Daytron equipment, just because they all have a universal kind of mounting system on their table. It'd be easy to target that as my niche, but, uh, and there's not a lot out there for it. So I may still eventually do that. And it'll all just be stuff that, I build for myself. If I like it and it works, then I'll see if there's interest. But I'm not going to go like purposefully develop products at this time. Like maybe in a few years, like once the, you know, but it's decided to pivot from the, the work I'm doing now. But it's not like the priority it was last year. Like I was kind of feeling bad. Like you were talking about, Chris, you know, you had your personal projects that were kind of building up in your queue. And I was the same way with my product ideas. And like I can't think of the last time I did a personal project on the Neo. It's, probably only done like three (laughs) since I got the machine and that's okay with me. Like that's fine. Eventually I will have time to do that. But right now it's like, I'm, I'm enjoying doing productive work with it. So, uh, and the product ideas eventually, you know, I don't know if, but like if I had the space and the environment here, what I would actually add, like my next machine would be a Swiss light. (laughs) That's actually like from where I would want to go and like make stuff with that. But I don't want to deal with oil in the garage and coolant and that kind of stuff. So I'll have to wait till I move to a, a kind of a little bit more suitable venue, which I think will happen in a year or two. We're, we're already looking at places a little bit further outside of the city where I could build a kind of a, you know, a next to the house kind of shop and get a little messier than something that's attached to the house. Nice. Yeah. So I don't know. Don't be surprised someday if you see like a citizen here. <laughs> no idea what I'm going to do with it yet, but uh, it looks like, you know, that'd be a challenging machine to learn to set up and, uh, I don't know. I kind of, I like watching, like I, if I look at all the stuff that the, like the videos that Grimso puts out, um, I really like the current stuff, but when he's doing, or he doesn't show much anymore because I think he's got other people running, but when he was like messing around with the Swiss, uh, especially on the setup stuff, that was like the stuff I really was like digging when he had that up there. The Miltern stuff is, is really satisfying. I, I don't know. Yeah. It's more, it's a little bit more satisfying to me than the five axis stuff because yeah, it, it's like turning, right? Yeah. Like it, and then it, bar feeds and it pulls the part out and then it, you know it's like i can just it's literally automation you know and it, and it yeah. it's nothing extra it's just kind of built into the thing so yeah. and, it, and the swiss machine like pulls it back in it's <laughs> yeah. even cooler right? so yeah. uh yeah i like that too i like I, I definitely want to get some you know get my hands dirty on some turning at some point not necessarily i can't think if that's going to be a commercial thing or just for fun but um just got to find the right, you know. I think it's going to end up being like your Neo thing where like if you buy it, they will come, right? Like once yeah. you get it, it's like yeah. everyone's going to be like, hey, uh, I saw you got a Citizen. You, you want to make this? And I'm sure everyone's just going to flood you. So Yeah, I think like a lathe, a lathe with subspindle and live tooling is probably the 
closest you can come to a money printing CNC machine. Yeah. 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 Five axis is probably right I, up there too. But I, I have just as much pride like finishing one of the programs for Milturn as I do to my five axis. Actually more. Just because it's yeah. it's a lot harder and it's a lot more a lot more stuff going on, a lot less space, uh, a lot more things moving around and things like that. And so um, it's it's I, I feel super super like happy when I get when I nail it and everything like going fine and you know a hundred parts later I'll stop by and be like hey how's that going it's like oh everything's within a thousand like perfect and then you know that makes me feel pretty good being able to nail all that stuff and my my other like secret lust <laughs> for machine machine lust is uh, a Wilhelmine McCodal like the um, I guess I would call those they're like um, Milturn. Right, the one I'm thinking of, it, it does turning, but it's on a like the spindle can come at all. It looks just like a shrunk down oh. version of like the Multics. Yeah, okay, I can't okay. The, I was the S3, I think, is the one I really like. The one I saw at um, it, Emo was like, I know they have bigger machines, but that one, like, it's Neo size, it's not very big. Uh, I mean, it's bigger if you had the bar feeder, but actually, I, I take that back. I'm trying to remember if that one even takes a bar feeder. I think it has like a trunnion, but. Um, there's another one that they have uh, is, is bigger, has bar feed, and it's really weird kinematics on it. Like especially like the sub spindle moves, you know, it can pick up a part and then rotate to present the part like face up, and mm. the spindle comes down. It's really weird. It's kind of mm. a I don't even know what you call that machine, but they all their stuff's kind of interesting. So um, if I could ever find like the right application for like really high precision small parts. There aren't watch parts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if I ever like, decided to go set up for like, medical parts, that might be the machine I get. I don't know. I guess it's the same thing as like, wanting to have a Ferrari. Like, even if I could afford one, I probably wouldn't buy one. I mean, our priorities change, right? In my 20s, if you gave me a million dollars, I'd probably blow it on a bunch of stuff that I probably regret doing now. So, GameStop. Stop <laughs> trading. <laughs> <laughs> so have you ever have you ever executed a trade while you were like riding down the face of a wave on your surfboard? No, no, no. But it's funny. <laughs> I I, I kind of made a deal with everyone at work. I was like, hey, <clears throat> I you know if, if you see me running off, or I have all these screens up open. I'm still working. It's just sometimes I need to my eyes need to dart over to look at stock prices to make sure I don't miss out on anything. And yeah. they're they're cool with it. So yeah, tell me, I'm just looking to see if I still need to be working. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Uh, I'm waiting I for a number. Uh, I can punch it out and I'm leaving. I'm, I'm gone. I'll be like, uh, here's my two weeks. I'm retiring. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can reach yeah. me in Tahiti. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So oh, that's cool, man. Yeah, I'm excited for you. You're, you're like I said, you've always been ahead of us, and you're kind of paving the way. And it's been, uh, it's been fun to watch and follow. I don't know, man. It's like I feel the same way about you guys. Like I would, I know. I mean, you could probably, we'd never be able to see what you're working on because of the ITAR stuff, but like, I would love to get over to California and catch up with what Winston's got going on at Carbide once all this uh, pandemic stuff's in the rearview mirror. Yep. But, By the time uh, pandemic's over, you might might be able to see some of uh, what I've been playing around with. <laughs> I'm excited to go meet Mrs. Moy. <laughs> let's, let's not uh, get that far ahead of ourselves. <laughs> does she listen to the podcast? She does not, thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> she uh, she has a life that's well outside CNC. First folks. <laughs> it's good to hear. She is a big dog person, though. Speaking of which, Chris, why have we not seen a photo of your dog? Haven't I texted you guys pictures? 
Uh, no. I mean, you're you're about to open Pandora's box. I have like thousands <laughs> of pictures of my dog in all sorts of strange positions and poses and stuff. Tell you, just create a website and send me the link. <laughs> uh, I think my wife made like an Instagram too. I'll send you guys a link later. My my sister's dog has its own Instagram page. So. <laughs> it's crazy. It's funny too because uh, we we keep getting like messages from people like for sponsor stuff for dogs. I, I didn't know how big of a market there is for it, but uh, it's it's insane. Like we we don't even have that many followers, and we're getting inquiries to like, hey, do we want to? you know, partner with you to do something with your dog. I'm like, my dog's like six months old. What the hell is she going to do? Like, <laughs> what is it that you so, want her to do? <laughs> reach out to my dog's agent. He'll, yeah. He'll handle all crazy. that. Those kind of inquiries. <laughs> now, when are you going to start the, um, the CNC desensitization training? She's, I actually took her to the shop one time. Uh, doesn't bother her. Like when the loud, actually UMC is not, that loud at all. I mean, for when we're cutting it, it's, we're not loud. Um, when the air compressor turns on, she kind of freaked out a little bit. Uh, I took her in the back area where basically all that stuff is put in. Um, after like 15 minutes, she she gets used to it. She, it doesn't bother her any much. Um, new sounds will freak her out. Like if someone drops a wrench and she's never heard that before, that'll obviously like, she'll stand up and be like, what was that? But then after I tell her, hey, it's okay, she, she kind of like, okay, it's fine. And then she'll relax. Nice. Yeah. Speaking of work, how did that peak part come out? Oh, so after the first article, uh, I everything was nominal except for the thickness. I was eight thou too thin. Well, actually, eight thou under nominal, but it was plus or minus ten, so I was, it was still okay. Oh, but yeah. it was on the bottom side of it. So all I had to do was I had to because I have the same tool uh, going on the front and the back. I couldn't just do like a simple wear comp thing. So the easier thing that what I should have done was just if it was an eight thou too thin, if I would have just added four thou to all my tools, it would have increased thickness four thou per side and it would have been the eight that I wanted. That would have been the easy way to approach this and it would have been done. <laughs> but instead, <laughs> I decided to change my strategy again and to use the same tool for the floor finish on the front side. And then basically uh, make it so that uh, are you guys familiar with the G10 like in program wear comp offset stuff? Basically, it it uh, it's G10 G90 L10 through 11 P something. What it does is basically you can insert your wear offset into your program so that it doesn't affect the tool offset or wear comp on the machine. So that if so those, this is like a single operation, it's just for that operation effect. you can turn it off. Yeah. So that way, because we use the same tool or we share the machine, right? We have one five axis, so uh, has a lot of jobs on it. We might use the same tool. We don't want to mess with this wear comp on the machine because it might affect someone else's yeah. job. So you just put this code inside, like uh, you know, G G ten G ninety P something is for the tool. Uh, L ten through twelve is like uh, Z offset, uh, wear comp diameter, and then radius. Um, and you put that inside and you can turn it on, you can turn it off so that it's, it's all program based. So we yeah. standard, we standardize this now. So, and so I basically rearranged a bunch of stuff and like, I made it so that if you change this G10, uh, here, it would affect everything on the front face over here, but it ended up being like a lot of work. And then I ended up creating a mismatch that wasn't there before. And I just realized at the end of the day that I just wasted like six hours, for nothing. I should have just did what I, I did in the beginning, but 
you know, the, the struggle for perfection kind of got to me and I, I should have just let it go because it wasn't really that important. Um, the surface finish call out was 125, which is basically like nothing. Like it, it's like rough, you know, I didn't have to worry about such good finishes and stuff. So I ended up achieving what I wanted to do, which is getting better control for the operator, a better floor finish and being able to, uh, minimize the mismatch a little bit, um, to the point where it's just like fingernail, you can barely feel it. But it, I spent a lot of time fixing something that didn't really need to be fixed. Um, but, you know, in the end, it worked out. Everyone was happy. We finished that job already and we're, we're moved on to the next thing. So I'm, I'm back on programming the mill turn for the next job. That is such a Chris resolution to this part. <laughs> I know. I, you know, I should have known better. I've done this before and I, I told myself I wouldn't do it again, but it, it's a struggle, man. Like I want to make the best thing that I can make, but it, you can't always do that. It's just a waste of time, especially when the print doesn't call out for perfection. You know, when the print's giving you 10 thou here, 5 thou here, and it's telling you a surface call at a 125, it's rough. It doesn't need to be good. Like, and that's hard to accept sometimes, but I need to really just eat it and just accept it because don't waste your time on something that doesn't really matter. You know, it, if I made a perfect part for them and they wouldn't care, right? If I made a part that was less perfect, but still inspect that they would still accept it. And I would have saved hours and time and stuff like that. So it was a learning experience for me to just another one to just let go and move on. Yeah. I think we've all been there. Um, there's a part on the shape Oco pro where we saw the first prototype and my my boss rob looked at the machining on the inside and like he didn't flip out but he took great offense that um uh, ed over in illinois had left an adaptive finish on the inside of a pocket and he's like why couldn't you just like come in with a regular pocket toolpath and finish it out small thing um which i mean i guess it's almost understandable, but like at the same time, it doesn't matter because no one sees this area. I've gone to the other extreme where like I will put in time to finish things that don't need to be finished. Like if you look at the inside of our, our second generation touch probe, um, like I've gone in and put a finishing toolpath on every surface of it, uh, which I definitely did not need to do. Um, sometimes I, I get really uh, picky about these things and sometimes I just let it go uh, but I can sympathize with uh, taking it to the extreme but don't you feel so much better like do though um, right yeah it's like, like you look pride. at the part you, you flip it over you you can inspect every side of it and it is like flawless there are some parts where I took some shortcuts like instead of swapping to a ball and mill to, to finish a, a little radius uh, I just use the the same flat end mill in a I think a morph spiral or something um, but every facet of it is shiny which is exactly what I want yeah and that that's the feeling that I'm constantly like striving for like I want that feeling I want them to tell me everything was nominal like I'm hit you know that that's what I want like to hear that's like my crack like you tell me that and I'm like yeah and like <laughs> I, I can I can move on and like you know be happy but if you tell me like oh you're you're plus three it's okay I'm like no no, no I, I can fix that and they're like no no it's good it's good I'm like no I can and they have to like <laughs> pry me away from the machine or computer are you guys doing production work on the no on nomads there are there are some small components. Uh, there's a Delrin part that goes at the bottom of the Z-axis. Every now and then there's like a, a short notice thing. So long-term, like we'll fix the heatsink or we'll get a, a yeah, laser cut part to replace it. 
Um, but there's been more than one occasion where like my boss or the shop guys will be like, Hey, we need a part to do this, or we need a fixture to do that. And I'll just, I'll run over on one of the machines that I'm comfortable with, which is not the VMCs and knock out what they're looking for. Um, so we, there's, there's a, there's a not insignificant, uh, number of parts that have been, uh, my responsibility to get right or to fix on the fly. Um, and it's, it's fun. It's, um, I feel like uh, I'm kind of like a EMT or like just triaging problems as they come in, especially during the early days of nomad production. Um, but that's, that's the exciting stuff, right? Like if you had an unlimited, like, or if you had a really long, uh, deadline and you could just work on a project over time, that's fine. But when it's like, Hey, we need to start getting these machines out like tomorrow, we need something to fix this thing that we can't assemble today. Just fire up Fusion, design a jig, make sure it's manufacturable, take it down to the the Nomad of the Shape Oko and just knock it out. Um, that's That to me is like the fun stuff. It's exciting. There's a little bit of a deadline. There's a little bit of pressure. Feels like you're like, this is like, you're very goal oriented when you're working on things like that. Uh, and so yeah. that's been a lot of fun. And you're solving someone else's problem, which is very satisfying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to say it's hard to go back to videos, but when you're doing something that solves a problem that fixes a production bottleneck, it's, it's very satisfying. That's the engineer in you. You peel away all the layers. That's probably pretty much what you are at heart. One day I'll get back to videos though. I do feel guilty about that. (laughs) (laughs) So I, uh, speaking of plastic and warp. So I also got, finally got a solution. Well, I shouldn't say finally actually just, I don't know why I didn't try this before, but you know, we were, we were talking about the occasional large warped plate of acetyl that like I wasn't able to use for the, the parts I make here without some additional work prep. They were too warped to, to sit on the vacuum table. So uh, I think I'm still going to do the fixture idea because for the stuff I had on hand already, I basically just used um, double-sided tape. I tried Nitto tape before on the Neo and just, it doesn't stick very well. Um, I mean, I, you know, cutting forces are much higher than the hobby machines, but I forgot I had like, I actually think this tape came, it may have come with the nomad. Did you guys used to ship the carpet yeah. tape? Yeah. So I still had that roll. <laughs> I had that roll and it, it never, it like, it didn't work well in the hobby machines. It was too, it's almost too it's strong. Super right? aggressive. Too, yeah. Um, but it was perfect. Like it worked, it stuck like crazy to the seal and stuck pretty well to the vacuum table once I cleaned clean that up it was just the right amount of holding to, like to basically get these parts slightly faced so they, they could flip them around and hold them on the vacuum table and it's funny i i've never used that tape it's, it came with the nomad and i think it's been sitting under my where the nomad used to be forever and i just saw it that day like right after the podcast i was looking at it i was like oh let me try this stuff <laughs> and i was thinking like it looked too thin like to fill the gap but um but actually i just put on the edges that were kind of warped up and then flipped it over so they were really warped down and it wasn't much contact area but that was enough that stuff's so strong i don't know if they even make that anymore i was trying to find some more on uh on uh amazon the eight it's ace hardware right Ace hardware carpet tape yeah i mean any carpet tape should work they're the same okay. kind of uh like a plastic um film yeah. tape it's just it's the adhesive is meant to be semi-permanent like holding yeah. it on carpet and for what, like, 
for really small PCBs, that's actually desirable. But once you're like, I want to hold down a piece of wood for a sign or something, it gets to be a, like a little much. And that's where the yeah. slightly lower tack, like craft, uh, double-coated craft tape, like the Nitto, uh, like the Sure tape that we sell, like that's, you can use a reasonable amount of it and also still be able to remove your part at the end of the day. Just FYI, one thing I found out with Nitto is, is it loses its grip quickly if there's any heat in the work. Mm. Um, or even like in the table, right? Just the machine heat. Like that, that may have been the other reason I was having problems with it. But uh, yeah, this other stuff seemed to tolerate everything. So I mean, it's a pain in the butt to kind of cut it and set it up and then clean it up afterwards. So I still, that's why I think like if I end up getting enough of this bad stock to make it worthwhile, I'll, I'll build a fixture using those uh, carling clamps. That's I think I like that idea that you suggested, Chris. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So we'll see. Also. Uh- a tangential suggestion is if you're going to be using more tape, um, I just picked up some nonstick scissors, uh, which are designed for tape, and that should make my life a little bit easier. Um, How does that work? Are they Teflon coated or it's it's some kind of polymer coating um, oh, okay. embedded into the titanium of the scissors? Uh, just makes it a little more slippery. Um, we had a production job on the Nomad using uh, the blue tape and CA glue. And uh, that's actually like another one of the things. That's the diffuser that we use on the um, the touch probes, and like that. I actually we took one of our shop guys who was not he had no formal CNC training. And we were just like, hey, load the material like this. Uh, going back to what you were saying, Chris, like building a process that's reliable and dummy proof is like the most critical thing when you're not the one running the machine and you're doing production, you have someone else doing it who probably isn't going to look out for like, Oh, it sounds a little wrong. Um, like working through the process to teach him exactly what he needs to know to make it foolproof. was, um, challenging, but also rewarding. Um, but anyway, uh, we were making, we just took eighth inch Delrin sheets. We stuck them to the nomad. We machined out the parts, uh, peeled off the tape and like, we ran dozens of uh, pieces of uh, Delrin. And when I reclaimed my machine, um, I looked at the scissors and they were just like gunked up with the, just the like blue tape isn't super tacky, but you cut enough of it and you get a lot of that, that adhesive crud sticking to the edges Mm -hmm. of the scissors. And uh, so I'm hoping this will uh, do a lot better. The Amazon reviews were all like, I just cut like 150 pieces of duct tape and it's still going strong. Nice. I have to check that out. Anyway, I interrupted you, uh, Eddie. You and this double-sided tape are doing great and heat thermal issues are not a problem with this? No, not like it is with Nitto. Uh, at least it hasn't been on the two plane, the two boards I ran through already. Yeah, the only downside was it leaves like that sticky residue all over the vacuum table. And actually, even with isopropyl, it didn't clean up Real easily. I had to get some acetone. You, you put it directly on the vacuum table? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't want to uh, pull the plates off and set it on the... Uh, just because I was going to immediately use the vacuum, so... Yeah. Um, I would have almost, yeah. like, put down a just a blank sheet of aluminum on top of the vacuum uh, table and glued yeah, it. Actually, that's a real good idea. <laughs> and then I could... Yeah, that would have been easier cleaning. I could have kind of removed it from the machine and cleaned it up outside because I didn't like that. I hate using acetone in the garage. It just, you know, stinks up the whole place, but... Yeah, that's a pretty good idea. 
It's like the obvious things, you know, <laughs> simplest things sometimes <laughs> about. Sometimes when you're in the thick of it, it's hard to see yeah. from a macro well, perspective. Like, mentally, what I wanted was I wanted that stock stuck on the vacuum table, right? That was like, yeah. <laughs> that's where the origin of the problem came from. So, <laughs> so yeah. I was like, I'm gonna, I know how to stick it to the vacuum table. <laughs> yeah, um, it's. I feel like it becomes when you have a daytron, uh, everything becomes a vacuum work holding problem. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's just, it spoils you so fast. Um, and I have like, you know, I'm doing the perfect kind of work for it with the large plates, plenty of good vacuum force on that. Uh, I don't do, I, I've done small parts on vacuum and they work really well in the Neo, but you know, if, it, if you have like an 18 inch by 12 inch plate, you just don't have to think about it and, and no through holes, right? These are all like just partially machined out from one side. It's like perfect. You couldn't, you couldn't come up with a better part to make on a Neo. Yeah, so the other thing I'm working on, um, you know, we talked about it last week and it kind of got me motivated to quit talking about it and actually go do something. I ordered, Winston, you'll be happy to hear, I ordered the uh, garage door installation kit. So that should be here this week. Most you know, excellent. Big, yeah, foam panels for that. And then um, I, so the other thing that was bugging me, I, I'm like real, pretty happy with the lighting, LED lighting that I put up over the Neo. Um, that area is like really well lit. But I have like the other end of the garage at the other end of my long workbench. It's kind of a dark over there. <laughs> so uh, that was the other thing I've been meaning to upgrade was uh, you know, get some more LED overhead lighting. So I found actually, um, up, yeah, I don't, can't remember the brand, but there were these LED light panels that screw right into the light bulb fixture, which I have. The garage has you know one bare light bulb fixture in the center. And I've always just had like a little hundred watt bulb in there. Um, before I was using it as a shop and with that on and nothing else on, it's like nothing gets illuminated. It's just not bright enough, but these panels basically I replace the bulb with these panels. They have like four leaves um, that you can aim independently. So I've got like two of them pointed at that dark area. Now it's like, it's as bright as the rest of the, the workshop. I love it. I just put that in today and the, yeah, the mini splits next. So I'm going to go, get that appointment made next next week and see i think my installer can handle the electrical and the mini split i thought that was kind of the hang up getting my electrician back out here but i think uh, the installer i'm working with for the ac can handle that too so um yeah so i'm excited about getting air conditioning proper air conditioning in there i i will note that uh i have a buddy with i think the same light fixture that you're talking about um, it's kind of like just like petals on a flower or something. Yeah, exactly. They do really brighten up the space, but because those are basically point lights, um, you will cast a really harsh shadow. So if you're working over a workbench, it's just not the same as having like a, a longer, a larger surface area light fixture overhead. Yeah, I was already looking at like maybe putting a diffuser on it because they're super bright. Like you can't look up at them; they're blind you <laughs> temporarily. Um, <laughs> But they get, I think they're a little, probably a little too hot to put like a 3D printed diffuser. I might have to get mm. something that can handle a little bit of heat. It's frosted know, glass maybe or something. Delrin or a UHMW. You probably yeah, machine a diffuser for it. Uh, yeah. The other thing for video wise is uh, you'll probably get some really harsh reflections on the Neo. So if you're trying to record on that, uh, it's not going to be a great experience. Yeah, I usually don't have that light on. Um, when I'm working at the machine, like it's, it's the one light in the garage that's controlled by the, you know, the, the switch by the door that the builder put in. 
um, like all my neo, all my light overhead lighting on the neos on is, uh, two of them are motion controls. So they're basically when I walk in the shop, they come on and they stay on. And then the one lights like on a pull, like a, I have a little switch right above the neo. So yeah, I usually don't have that light on and actually it, it puts a lot of glare on the door. So it's not really good to have it on when I'm on the machine, but like when I'm over at the vice, like the bench vice or, or, you know, doing some deburring or whatever, it's perfect. So, um, it also lights up like my compressor area. That's it. That was another kind of deep, dark tunnel when I'm down there trying to like check the filter or the drain or whatever. It's, it was just kind of do it by touch. Now I have good lighting in there or I just have to take a flashlight over there, but yeah. So that's it's just those little things. Like they make a difference <laughs> in quality of shop life. I think I'm more excited about the AC than I am about a new machine. <laughs> 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 just because I remember like last summer was so bad and I'm sure it wasn't good for the Neo either. Yeah. I think if I can keep it below like 90 all the time in the summer, that'd be great. Like 86 would be perfect. Or maybe even 76. If I, I can dream. <laughs> yeah. With the insulation, that's, actually uh, that's probably doable. It's a little luxurious uh, to be thinking about, but uh <laughs> I don't know. Maybe when you get your new shop, you can uh, yeah. spec it with an extra large AC unit. Yeah. Or I actually, you know, if I was to build my shop like from scratch, I would just make sure that I had a separate, basically a separate uh, room for the compressor and vacuum pump and, you know, insulated outside. Mm-hmm. So that heat and noise is outside of the working area. That would make such a big difference. Um, and then like That's I think true. Saunders yeah. did, it's like somebody, I think it was Saunders. So they did it. So they have vents. So in the winter, they can open up that room, the compressor room, so that it, or maybe it was Grim Smoke, someone was talking about, but basically they can re, they can use the heat when they want it, like have it circulate in their shop. And then in the summer, they can close it off and isolate it and vent it outside. So that's actually a pretty good idea. So yeah, in the winter, it's great. Like it really keeps things warm and comfortable in there without having to run a lot of auxiliary heat, but it's just the opposite in the summer, right? It's kind of working against me. Hmm. But the noise is not bad now that I switched to the scroll compressor, but vacuum pump's probably the most annoying noise now. Um, and that's just because it's right at my feet. You know, it's like three feet away from me. Compressor's on the other side of the garage now. <laughs> I told my wife today, I'm going to bring the, the vacuum pump inside the house and just run a hose to the wall. <laughs> <She's> <laughs> like, no, you're not. <laughs> Try <Yeah>. again. <laughs> Has your wife picked up on CNC terminology? Like, does no, she know she has, what things she does not want in the house and what things are okay? Uh, so, yeah, you know, the my original thinking when I got the Neo was, I mean, before I even got it, but when I was thinking about getting one, it was, it was going to go into my spare bedroom shop. Because, you know, the Daytron shows a lot, shows it often the marketing stuff being used in, like, indoor settings, office settings. Yeah, it fits um, through a standard doorway. Yeah, and, and it would, actually. It would be okay. Uh, it would be, like, I know now, like, what problems that would have led to as far as uh probably the you know the methanol or the alcohol being the worst part right <laughs> although i don't mind the smell like other people might it doesn't get to the point where it's dangerous um inside the house it might because it's all sealed up um you have to have good air turnover with that system in the room um but the other part is like even with the all the chip management it still sprinkles aluminum all over the you know around the base of the machine and then you track it everywhere so you know, it's probably just a little too much <laughs> for uh, the wife of the machinist to tolerate in the house. Is what that way. <laughs> I would have no problem with it, but um, 
but definitely like an officer school setting inside, you know, in, inside a room would be fine. Like you wouldn't necessarily have to be in a shop. It's definitely a machine that could have worked. Uh, like where I used to work, it would have been, it would have been tolerable. Question for you. Do you have a floor mat so that you make sure you don't track chips into the house? So what I do, um, and this is, I think Marvin gave me this suggestion, and it works great, is I have a set of shoes for the garage and a set of shoes for the rest of the house, right? So I, I just never bring my, what I wear in the, sh- in the garage into the house. Um, I still, like, to be honest, the, the Neo is super neat. Like, you don't get a lot of chips outside of the machine. Um, I probably make a bigger mess when I'm cleaning out the chip bin especially with the seal, not so much with the aluminum, but it kind of, you know, we were talking last week about that kind of funnel in the machine kind of has these shoots and funnels that goes down into the bin, but a little bit of chips will stick on those funnels or on the sloped walls. And then like when you pull the chip bin out, if you bang the machine or, you know, bang the sheet metal or tap it or whatever, like that all stuff, that all sprinkles down right onto the floor. If you don't have the bin there, um, usually happens when you're changing the bin, right? You kind of, when you're going to put the bin back in, maybe you kind of, hit the side of the machine and it doesn't take much for it to just kind of a little avalanche of <laughs> chips to come falling out from under, under the machine. But it really, it's like not bad at all. It's not like probably any other typical machine. I would say it's no worse than I got from my hobby machines with their enclosures. Uh, it's just, you know, a little bit more volume to deal with, but, but as far as like leaking and, and or staying inside the machine, it's, it does a really good job. But I, I think, where I'm getting like tracking issues and getting the respray on the shop is when you take parts out of the machine, you know, they always have some chips on them or when you vacuuming, right? Six of the brush. So that's where like, I probably make the biggest mess myself, just cleaning up and moving the stuff around that just got machined, deburring, all that kind of stuff kind of leaves chips everywhere. So yeah. So I basically have a pair of uh, safety sandals <laughs> in the shop <laughs> and, uh, and I, actually, I'm breaking the rule right now because I happen to be wearing them in the house. I hardly ever do that, but uh, I ran out there right before the podcast to do that tool change and <laughs> forgot to take them off. But they never go past, like, the only other room I ever go into them with is my inside job. So um, the Roomba gets run here pretty often. So, yeah, I've never had the wife complain about, like, a chip in her foot or anything like that. So been pretty good. Okay. Yeah, it's a very tidy machine. Do you ever have an issue with, like, the, the really fine dust, though? because of that RPM, because of that chip load. Like, if you clean out the machine, do you use compressed air? Do you always use a vacuum? No. Yes. Do you ever notice a film of dust that settles on the touch screen? Yeah, so I, where I see, like, the main place I see chips that aren't contained are on the left side of the machine for some reason. I think that's, oh, I, I actually I know why that is, because I, I have a fan blowing on the right side, like a pretty big, I don't know what you call it, a shop fan, like an industrial fan, blowing over the radiator for the spindle chiller just to kind of give it some forced air. I mean, they, they have a, fan, a little fan in there, but I want a little bit more. And also, I have the, the fan angled so it's like half blowing on the radiator um, on the Neo and half the other half's kind of airflow over the vacuum pump. So that's, you know, it's kind of, it needs a little extra cooling. But that's also blowing under the machine and blowing the chips out the other side. I think that's what's why they all accumulate on one side of the machine. It's just the stuff that kind of sprinkled down underneath the machine. Uh, probably if I didn't have the fan, they'd all be under the machine. They were, I just have to vacuum out every once in a while. Yeah, so the fine dust, I don't see it so much with aluminum. I mean, I see it inside the machine, but not, and maybe on the touch screen a little bit. Um, and, and actually, I see it a little bit on the airlines around the machine. So yeah, it's, it's, it settles a little bit away from the machine onto horizontal surfaces. And again, most of that's escaping when I open the door to move parts out. But 
the the seal is a whole different ballgame because it's you know it's got a static charge and it also like when I'm doing fine finishing that stuff floats in the air and you know it doesn't go down it goes out whatever crevice there is available on the machine <laughs> and it goes pretty far but it's it's easy to clean up I mean it vacuums right up um, but it does I find like I didn't really notice it till I did this blue acetyl machining yesterday. And like, I can see where that went. <laughs> it's like all over my workbench and <laughs> yeah. And it, that's a, for whatever reason, if it, it was more floaty than my usual seal is that food grade stuff with metal powder in it. So it, it can be detected with the metal detector. It's for using on like a food production line, right? If you're having a seal part, in my case, I'm making like a diverted paddle for a, that rejects uh, bad parts, like a vision system and it rejects, it knocks the, I don't know what they are, probably potato chips or something, knocks them off the conveyor belt, right? Um, but you have to, they worry about foreign object uh, getting into the food there. So like if a piece of the Delrin breaks off or whatever, so they make it the special grade that's got metal in it. Uh, I don't know if it's like a powder or something, but it can be picked up by x-ray or metal detector in case somebody gets into the, you know, the food packaging part of the QC. But yeah, for whatever reason, this stuff is like super... Uh, light when you machine it like it it just floats everywhere it might just be the color like maybe the black stuff was going places i just don't notice it but the, i definitely noticed the blue uh the blue film on the my workbench it's kind of funny i feel like i've seen that stuff like on mcmaster when i'm just browsing random materials and i'm always like oh food grade this nuclear grade that yeah uh, i think you're the first person i know who's actually acquired it and machined it yeah so it's kind of confusing because people like basically all acetyl is food grade and you know it's safe to touch food like it's contact it's not so much a chemistry thing it's it's um yeah like when it says fda grade delrin that or acetyl right that that means it's got uh additives so that it can be detected that's really what that means um yeah like people always think oh no you like you, you're machining those uh, ice trays <laughs> out of like non-FDA. It's like it doesn't matter for that application. <laughs> it's not like yeah, it's not like a you know if I was building like a, a wiper blade, you know, for cutting dough on a production line, then yeah, you're definitely going to want uh, you know those will eventually break down and break off chips. You know, pieces will end up in the food, so you got to be able to detect that and, and catch it before it you know goes out on the truck, right? So. Yeah, they have, I've seen two kinds. They have, like, the stuff I have is just uh, got a little bit of metal, so it can be picked up on a metal detector. And there's the darker blue stuff has some, is metal and x-ray detectable. Like, I don't know what they put in it, but uh, super expensive. Like, <laughs> the stuff I bought is not too bad, but um, the x-ray stuff look pretty pricey. But, yeah, it's like, you don't need it, but when you do need it, you need it, right? Mm-hmm. But machines, fine. I wasn't sure. I was kind of wondering. I couldn't find any, like, speeds or feeds that were any different than regular Delvin when I was Googling about it. And, you know, so I just kind of took it easy yesterday, did some test cuts and cuts just like the Delrin, like my regular Delrin. I haven't noticed. I don't know if it's maybe stalling my tools. I didn't notice it. I think the powder, whatever metal is in, it's like not enough to impact the cutting performance. Like I tried a magnet on it. It doesn't stick. So <laughs> it's not like it's 80% iron powder or anything. But yeah, but that's what the blue colors or the blue, if, I guess they require it to be highly visible also. That's the other foreign matter detection check. So highly visible, metal detectable, and sometimes x-ray detectable, depending on the application. It's kind of day glow blue, but like sky blue. I actually like it. It looks like 
interesting material to make something out of just because of the color. <laughs> Food grade keychains. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> How about you, Winston? You, uh, so I know you're not doing any videos, so you, you run any of the hobby machines lately? Uh, let's see. Um, for a hobby, like hobby type project. Oh, for actual hobby projects? Yeah, not for your production stuff. <laughs> no, I hate to say this, but I've been doing a lot of 3D printing. Uh, one of my big uh, endeavors this year is to just give everything a home and like organize everything. I've made like little end mill holders, little like clamp holders. And all of that was subject to limitations of machining, my material thickness. I wanted to use cheap half inch stock. And I just came to the realization that if I want whatever I make to be secure, to fit perfectly, I, I can't afford to restrict myself to using only half inch plywood or making rounded corners that could be machined with a round end mill. So I just I started designing like bespoke holders for the the various clamps that carbide sells, end mills and things like that. And, and like a bunch of different holders, brackets to support my power supplies for the machines so I can yeah, stick them under that. the table. Um, yeah. So and weapon just, storage too, right? <laughs> indeed. The the emergency nerf blaster under the table trick. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Not a lot of machining, but some digital fabrication in the service of my desire for order in the world. Yeah, I think, like, to be honest, I think my very next machine purchase will probably be another 3D printer. You know, that was the first machine I bought here was 3D printer. And I'm going to say 2014. I still have it. And it's like, I know the... Printers have come a long way since then. <laughs> so uh, why don't we talk about yeah. that next time? Because I'm yeah. in the market for one, and I want to kind of go over with you guys. Like, what's because there's a lot of new things I've been coming out, and I can't decide. Like, I know what we talked about earlier, but that'd be a good, I think, podcast to talk about. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I think um, I think I'm in the same place uh, John Saunders was on his most recent podcast. And he's looking at he's looking at dual extruders so he can do the dissolvable or water is it water soluble supports i'm thinking of that you guys talk me out of it if that's a bad idea <laughs> I'm, I'm like right behind you <laughs> yeah the other thing i want is um i want the ability to like automatically be able to switch uh colors dirt me on mid print um so i can't remember which if it was creality or ender one of them has like um and it may just been like a third-party add-on but i think it was up to five colors and it kind of automatically knows when to switch over to the other spool yeah so that's kind of that's kind of neat so I, I do a lot of when I, uh, with the one I have here. I do a lot of like multicolor parts and you know doing the manual color change at the right time, right layer. So much stuff out there I haven't even kept up. I figure I just ask Naomi when the time comes because I can't <laughs> think of anyone knows more about printers than Naomi. Yeah, but uh, cool. We'll see. Well, that can be our next uh, topic then. Yeah. I just wanted to make a quick shout out, but can you hear this? Uh, yep. Do you know what that is? Is that Quick Spring uh, Firestarter? No, it's I'm gonna guess Grimsmo. It's the Grimsmo Saga Pin. Oh, you got a Saga Pin, yeah. I got the Saga. I got the uh, one two four five, which is the turquoise uh, little and it, like gunmetal. It's it's awesome. Yeah, yeah it's I'm, a great is color. It as satisfying as everyone makes it out to be. It's satisfying, but not just on a physical level. But this is kind of like. He was making this pen while we were all going through our transformation to like the career and stuff, you know. So this pen yeah. has a lot of meaning for me in, in other aspects. It's kind of like a memento of time. Like as he was building this, we were going through a bunch of stuff like that. So it's cool. I've been resisting the urge to take it apart because I want to know how it works. But I remember in one of his <laughs> podcasts, 
he's got like bearings in here that'll like spring out and basically disappear because they're so tiny yeah. or something. So uh, we'll see. Yeah, Winston and I got to see the prototype when we were uh, at AU. We ran into John. I, I think you were with me, Winston. I ran into him and he, he had it in his pocket. Yeah. Yeah. He let us, you know, play around and run the mechanism. And, uh, you know, by then, like, he said, enjoy handing it to people and letting them see if they could figure it out. But by then, everyone kind of knew. <laughs> he talked about it enough. We figured out how to, how to do it in one, you know, since so he hand it to you. But it's really clever. It's, it's a pretty nice mechanism. Um, yeah, I'm still holding out for one. I've been on the list since he opened up sales on those. Uh, did you get your, did you get your suit the list or was it on the website like available? It was uh, no, I got an email saying I got chosen. Yeah, okay, yeah, I think I got, they're still only selling them that way. I got lucky because I wasn't. I was like, uh, there's no point to put my name on the list. I'm never going to get chosen. And then yeah. I saw the color and I was like, oh, okay, I'll put my name on the list. <laughs> and then he. So if you get, I don't know if you stayed on the list, but if you get the if you get an email again for a pin and you don't want it, let me know. Send it my way. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> okay. Like, I mean dying to get one yeah well, it's like it was funny because i got you know i had two norsemen <laughs> and i probably got i hate to say this because i know those people have been waiting forever for norsemen but um although probably not anymore now he has them up in the store a lot of times but uh for like years you had to wait and i was getting literally it was just you know it's a random drawing but i was just getting like every couple of weeks i was getting an email <laughs> hey you, you can buy a norseman and i'm like i already have two i don't want <laughs> but um and i kind of handed those off to people i knew were, that were waiting you know gave them first dibs on it but um i'm waiting but, for like, a, a rask right now yeah it's like but I, you know i figured okay I, 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 that means i gotta be right around the corner for uh, a saga <laughs> nope <laughs> it's like and, and like when i got my norseman people were emailing me like i've been on the list for four years and never got that email <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's, that's it must be something wrong. But like, I think I'm on two years now for the saga, <laughs> going on two years. Yeah, so I'm patient. Um, I probably don't have the best taste in the world, but I have this like um, my favorite Norseman. Is, I have the pur- uh, purple one. Like I call it the Prince Snipe. Oh, and, nice! Uh, I just love that anodizing the way it came out, and that's like I want the matching saga for that. The purple saga. I've seen him. He's made a few. I'm all over that. If, if that's the one I can, you know get my hands on her for the easy, like a buyer's choice. I'm going to see if I can get that matching color. Yeah. Just to have a nice set. Yeah. No, it's, it's nicely made and you can tell it's been well thought out. I like the clip tension. Like everything just feels good. feels good. Yeah. looks good. I'm like, a like, I'm not big into knives, but pins like a good pin. I've got, I'd love, like I'm pretty partial to the, uh, to Kelvin's pins, the TI scribe. I've got, I use them at work when I was in the day job and I mean, I use them in the shop all the time too. I have like one everywhere. Cause I always like want to have one handy to grab <laughs> and I'm always setting them down and forgetting where it is. So I just like, okay, I'm gonna have one in my office, one in the shop. I have one in my car and uh, I just love those things. It's like, they're so well-made, so functional last pretty much lasts a lifetime. Uh, you know, solid titanium pin. Yeah. Saga is like the same. I mean, the saga is a little more, I caught like, you know, the difference between a sport watch and a dress watch is more of a, dress watch <laughs> compared to the the ti scribe which is really you know utilitarian you know it's all about function yeah they look great too but but like the saga is like beautiful like just the i love the clip like that's probably my favorite feature and watching that get machined i mean, i'm still like, kind of shocked that he does it on the uh knack. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah 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 i would have thought like it would have been okay to do that on the swiss machine by now but 
maybe it's a little too big. I'm not sure. I think the diameter is probably too big. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you on that one. I, I pen to me is more. And you use it every day, right? Yeah, and you can, absolutely. And, yeah, and you can take it on a plane. Not like, so much. IPhone, <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So, all right, well, I don't know where we got on that topic. <laughs> 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 oh, so the other project I'm working on, um, and I don't know where this is going to lead as far as <laughs> my my long-awaited YouTube channel, <laughs> but um, you know, I've been dealing with yeah, you know, I shoot video of the Neo with my camera with my iPhone um, through the the now kind of foggy. Uh, polycarbonate window. It's just like the, the video quality is getting worse and worse. Um, so I don't really post all that much. But I have a GoPro. I've had it forever. Didn't have the right setup to mount it in the machine. So I think I finally got that figured out. I have like a, a bare Noga arm, you know, without the base, the right kind of adapters for both ends so I can uh, hook it up to a GoPro case and got the macro lens. So I uh, just got one piece. I still got to make kind of a custom bracket to mount to the the T-slot on the side of the vacuum plate on the Neo. Like there's a little T-slot for work stops. Um, I think that's like the perfect place. It's probably the only safe place to potentially I could mount it on one of the, on the spindle housing, but I think there's not enough clearance here on a full retracted probably end up colliding with the, with the gantry, with the enclosure. But I think on the front of the table, like there's this one little spot, I think it'll be safe. Like the spindle can't hit it and it won't necessarily hit anything else. So I'm gonna give that a try. Hopefully I'll start getting some GoPro footage machine action up soon. Nice. That'd be cool. Yeah. Yeah. Until, until the chip stream destroys the lens and <laughs> <laughs> so I don't have it. Like I have, I have it, the camera, the GoPros inside, you know, one of the hard uh, acrylic case or I don't know where they're polycarbonate cases, but the lens. Um, so I put like, you know, it's one of those add on macro lenses, but it's like, there's nothing, protecting that but it's cheap so if it you know it's basically a consumable like i think for the acetyl program or the acetyl machining i'm doing it'll survive um i don't think it survived getting hit by the chips yeah i'm sure you can just make some kind of like little glass lens yeah shield exactly you could just replace easily yeah so anyway hopefully uh that's gonna work for me and not get whacked inside the machine or fall off or whatever but uh so that's like, you know, you were talking about little personal projects. So there's my first little personal project. It's going to be a bracket. <laughs> like first, thing, first thing I made for myself in like a year. <laughs> I think the last thing I made was a bracket, like for my, my air compressor. <laughs> yeah, I'm good at brackets. So brackets are my racket. Oh, I didn't talk about the sign. So I, I've been working on this sign for my, like, not the one I originally used to talk about for my sister, <laughs> the one I was going to make on the shape Um, but she asked me for like another sign because she has, she just built this party barn out of her place. She's got like a little ranch just outside of San Antonio and, uh, they're still constructing it. So it's probably another month away just in time, you know, for the vaccine. So we can start getting together again, but she wanted uh, a nice sign to put on the entrance. So I just, I posted a little bit of that on my Instagram, just did like a solid aluminum 18 by 12, just grabbed what basically one of those mic six plates I use for the other parts. And uh, like so far it came out really good on the machining. I'm going to uh, take it to the powder coater and the week after next, the earliest they can get me in and then uh, do the final machining on it and I'll see how it comes out. It's nice having something like that I can actually post <laughs> from beginning to end. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's, it's not a NDA part or whatever so and i wasn't sure how it was going to work because it was i kind of went overboard like the letters are you know they're big letters uh like inch and a half high and an inch tall i wasn't sure if it was gonna 
machine. I, you know, I've done lettering like that before, but never anything that big with that much material removal. So yeah, basically removing like ninety percent of the of the original material, just leaving letters behind. But it was decent. It took like under four hours to machine. So and I wasn't really pushing it. Yeah, I just gotta. I still gotta figure out what I want to do on the final finish if if it's gonna be like a MCD pass across the letter tops. Um, the rest of the sign will be black, or uh, it's actually kind of a dark gray, charcoal gray, uh, almost black matte. So I gotta figure out what's. I'll probably do the MCD finish if the contrast is like not very good. Then I'll just brush finish on the letter face. But we'll see. Yeah, I should have probably by the end of this month. I'll have the final part. Uh, are you gonna do any finishing on the inside of the pocket that gets powder coated, like a bead blast or anything, or do you think the texture of the powder coat is just gonna cover it all? I'm gonna actually ask the powder coater what they think. So they can do a couple of things, right? They can put a base coat down, which might hide whatever little machining marks, or they might recommend just bead blasting it or media blasting it first. So yeah, I want it to look. Actually, the finish is gonna be kind of texture. Like it's not a it's a it's not a full wrinkle, but it has a little. I think they call it like a leatherette texture. So I don't know if it really matters. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm just wondering about like adhesion of the powder powder coat to the substrate. Oh, yeah. I've never had a problem like going right off the machine. As long as you clean it. I mean, mm-hmm. I've done, you know, a good bit of powder coating on smaller parts here, aluminum parts, but I always, you know, the trick is getting them clean. So I always give them a good mineral spirit bath and then you don't touch the part right after that. You have gloves on. Yeah. As long as you bake it at the right temperature, it's a little different than regular paint. And the, like, I think it adheres better as long as the part's clean. But yeah, the, the thing I more worry about is the machining mark showing through the powder coating. Like the, that's not the effect I'm looking for. So I think I got them, you know, the finish good enough that that's not going to be a problem. We shall see. Definitely share what you learned from the powder coater. Uh, Cause I'm, I'm just Googling this right now. Like, can you powder coat over polished aluminum? There's a lot of topics. I haven't yet come across yeah. a, it's not polished. It's, it's just, like regular True, machine. But it's like you're leaving a pretty slick finish oh, yeah, off the yeah. Daytron. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, actually, everything I've ever powder coated before was machined on the hobby machine, so that it's not quite. The, <laughs> maybe that was the right texture. <laughs> Even the best finish on those is still like not neo finish. But yeah, you know, normally, like my original plan was to powder coat it here. I just didn't really think it through that the size is too big for my curing oven. So that's the only reason I'm going to a powder coater. That's another thing is to go my, I need to get better powder coating set up here. So I like powder coating. Like that's one of my favorite durable finishes for parts, but I never, I've, I take it back. I've had one customer ask for it, but they end up taking the parts as machined and they took care of the powder coating. But I used to do like a lot of it for the little parts I did here just to, you know, <laughs> if you can't get a great finish, you can just powder coat it and no one will ever know. <laughs> so, and I don't deal with anodizing. So that's, that's the other reason, like, I don't want to anodize at home, but powder coating is pretty easy to do at home. Got a lot of I, I like anodizing more than I do powder coating. I usually I like, strip yeah. powder coating off of motorcycle parts because I like the the bling, the, the bling or the the flat finish. Yeah, yeah it, it's funny because when you powder coat something, it just immediately looks like it's a three D printed plastic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I, I always got a finger tap. They touch it, it like, oh, I thought that tap, was tap, plastic. Tap tap tap. Wait, what is this? Okay, it's metal. <laughs> That's heavier. I thought. Okay, well, guys, I think I'm going to wrap it up. I got a, I got a part running, so I'm going to go see how that's doing and uh, enjoyed the chat. Did you guys, uh, did everyone get to talk about what they want to talk about tonight? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Sounds right, guys. good, guys. Until next time. All right. Have a good one. You too. Catch you later.